request uh, you want to mention tonight? Uh, still Terry and Vince. Terry and Vince. Uh, when are they coming back? Uh, late August, I think. <laughs> late August. Wow, okay. Yeah. They still got a month and a half. like eight weeks. Well, it's already been like seven. It feels five, like that. Five? Has it been five? five. Pretty close. All right, it should yeah. be soon enough. It's All right, so we'll pray for the Higginbotham's. They're traveling still. Anything else? James Demi? and Joanne. They're going to... Um, yes, James and Joanne. They're going to Washington State. Washington State. Yeah, for his uncle. His uncle. Yes. Moving to Goshen. So pray for the Knights. All right, any, any other prayer requests for tonight? quiet. <laughs> All right, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We pray that you'd bless the time we spend in your word. We thank you for your grace and your gospel as you have saved us through the, the work of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. God, I pray that you would bless the time we spend together. pray that it would be fruitful. Help us to understand your word, to grow in our, our knowledge of this book of Hebrews and how to apply it to our lives. Um, we lift up the requests that were mentioned. We pray for the night's and uh, traveling graces, same request for the Higginbotham's as they're traveling around. God, we pray that you bring them home safely to our church family. And God, I pray for the many requests and burdens and trials that were not mentioned, um, that, that didn't get brought up. God, you know those things. Um, you know the burdens we have, the ways we, we struggle. God, I pray that you would let us experience Christ's role as the comforter, as the great high priest who knows how to minister to us in our weakness because of his suffering. God, I pray that you would bless us with the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we would follow his lead, that we would walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. God, I pray your blessing over our church in general. Help us to do our mission well, to reach this community, this county, for the gospel of Christ. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. Who needs a sheet? Anybody else need a sheet? King size. (laughs) This would be a blank piece of paper. Not blank, almost blank. All right, so last week we started with a pop quiz that only a few people passed. So I decided we needed to, to up the level to make sure everybody remembered their stuff better. Y'all ready for this? All right, author of Hebrews. Unknown. Very good. But we also, somebody said Holy Spirit last week. I said we have to we have to take that answer. It's not what I was going for, but we have to take that answer. What book are we studying? Hebrews. Hebrews. Very good. Is the book of Hebrews in the Old or New Testament? New Testament. New Testament. But who's it written to? The Jews. But what kind of Jews? Christian Christian Jews who are experiencing what? Persecution. Persecution. And the persecution is from what group of people? Jews. Also Also Jews, Jews, but what kind? Unbelieving Jews. Non-Christian Jews. So these non-Christian Jews are persecuting the Christian Jews to get them to do what? Go back to the Old. Go back to the Old Testament. What's the fancy word for that? Law of Moses. To go to Law of Moses. What's, there's a word that begins with A. To, if you leave Christ, and, right, apostatize or apostasy. And that's the temptation. 
Nobody's worried about credit. Everybody gets credit for this quiz. All right? doesn't, doesn't count anything. Maybe some rewards in heaven. I don't have control over that. So it's between you and the Lord. Apostasy. Is that spelled right? I don't know. I have no idea either. It's phonetic. So we'll go with it. So apostasy is the idea of falling away. So in the book of Hebrews, it is we get this notion of falling away, a threat of what happens if you do fall away, a warning against falling away. All of those kind of come together in the book of Hebrews. It's part of the main theme. It's part of the main story. It's part of the main argument. And if we were summarizing, though, the main argument of Hebrews, we probably wouldn't include the word apostasy. Rather, what would we say? Main argument of Hebrews is Jesus is better. In this case, better than what? Angels. We started saying he's better than angels. Then we said he's better than Moses. Very good. Why do these Christian Jews need to know that Jesus is better than angels? Angels were very important to the Jews. In the Jewish worldview, if you remember, what did we say they believed the angels gave them? Angels gave the law to Moses. That was their theology. So number one, Jesus gives us the law directly. Amen. He's not a mediator. He Well, he's a mediator between us and God, but he is God. So he directly reveals himself. So he's better than the angels who gave the old covenant. He's also better than Moses. And so starting in chapter 3... We began an argument that is going to last until we get to the Hall of Faith in chapter 11. And this argument is that Jesus is better than Moses. So amen. the lingo. I said amen. Amen. I'll take an amen. Yeah, absolutely. So Jesus is better than Moses, and he's going to argue why. So let's uh, do um, the first few blanks here are just review, summary, what we've talked about already. So let's see how you do filling those in. So Moses was faithful over God's house. So here's a house. And Moses is faithful over this house. We're going to call this Moses' house because he was leading the house. But he's faithful over the house in what capacity? Servant. Servant. And in this case, who is the house? The children of the people, the people of Israel. The people of Israel, exactly. The Israelites. Or the Hebrews. God's people in the Old Testament. Right? There's going to be comparison, though. Jesus is faithful over God's house as a what? Son. Son of God. And heir. Heir. Son and heir. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's what we're going to get to tonight. Exactly. So, Jesus. He manages the house better. That's, that's the argument. And now he's, we started that in chapter 3, and now we've been walking through so far not really how Jesus has managed the house. We've actually spent all our time, chapter 3, chapter 4, talking about how Moses managed his house. So to review that, we emphasize the map. So we think back to the Old Testament story. The Old Testament story of Moses. I'm just going to use a map to illustrate it. Can y'all see that? Is Sue's head in the way? <laughs> so you're going to have to move. Well, I'm sorry, but Jeff took my seat, so I'm sitting right here. Let's do it again. 
Can y'all see that well enough? Yeah. Enough of you? You, the young man, No, right. I never did. So what country is here on the map? Are y'all following the map well? Egypt. Egypt. Very good. And then what do we call this area? Trauma, no. Not yet. The wilderness. Wilderness. And then what's here? Promised Land. Promised Land. Promise land. All right, so here's how the author of Hebrews has made his argument so far. Moses was faithful over God's house because he led the people out of Egypt. Amen. What Old Testament book does that happen in? Exodus. Exodus. Because they're doing what? Exodus. Exiting Egypt. But he leads them out of the wilderness, I'm sorry, out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. And what's he give them on Mount Sinai? He gets the law. He gets the law. Now, we would say the Ten Commandments, but really we mean the whole thing here. We mean Genesis through Deuteronomy. He, he gets the law, the Torah. He gives it to the people. But does Moses lead the people into the promised land? No. He no. does not. This is the variant. Does he lead anyone into the promised land? No. 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 Not a soul. He doesn't even get to go in. Moses himself exactly did not get to go in. Now, we know two guys did. Joshua and Caleb. and Caleb. They go in later, but they're kind of left out of the story in, in Hebrews. So Moses leads them here, gives them the law, but then through their disobedience, under his ministry, they do not get to enter the promised land. Amen. So in our New Testament paradigm, so we're taking the same principle, we're thinking about what does Jesus do. And so Egypt here... This was bondage. This was slavery. So this would be like our slavery to sin, to to self, to the world, to destruction. Jesus leads us out, gives us law after salvation, and then does he lead us to the promised land? Yes, he does. The argument is, unlike Moses, who could get you here, but not here, Jesus Gets his people not just here, but definitely here. That's why he's a better servant than Moses. That's the argument. So, so far, we've argued that Moses couldn't do it. And now we're moving into the, but Jesus can part. You you follow what I'm saying? That's where we're at in Hebrews. So open in chapter, let's see. I think there were more blanks, though. All right, so Moses' priestly ministry did not purify... The hearts of the people. Amen. Moses' ministry did not purify the hearts of the people. Next, Jesus' priestly ministry. Now we're forecasting. Jesus' priestly ministry will produce better results than Moses. So, what's our chief metric? What's our point of comparison between what Moses produced and what Jesus produced. Result of salvation. All right, whether or not you make it to the promised land. Amen. So if we make it to the promised land, who gets the glory? God. God. Jesus, Jesus exactly, Jesus. right? So the hinge point here is not us. It's our priest. So Moses is seen as the, now we have to be loose here, as the priest over the Old Testament, because technically who was the priest in the Old Testament? Aaron. 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 Is Moses' brother. Um, but Moses is a descendant of Levi because he's a brother of Aaron. Are you talking too much, Joanne? I just saw you cover your mouth. It's like you're embarrassed. I didn't hear it, so I'll just 
pretend it was terrible and <laughs> think horrible thoughts about it. Okay. So <laughs> Moses then, well, we're, we're putting quotation marks around it, but Moses is the priest here in the Old Testament versus Jesus as the priest in our new covenant. Now we are going to pick up in verse 14. So we have done the bulk of chapter 4, and the main thrust of chapter 4 was that we are in this specific point called today. That's Hebrews' way of saying right now. Amen. You have this opportunity to stay faithful. Yes. All right, you also have this opportunity to do what the Hebrews did, and what did they do when they were faced with this option to go into this land filled with giants, scary people with cities, with they, big walls and armies. They doubted. They doubted. They, they, doubted. they, they technically, I erased the word, they apostatized. apostatized. They, they fell doubted. away from God's plan. Amen. And then they spent 40 years dying in the wilderness. So really the question that we're working towards, and we're officially going to cover it next week, because we're going to get to chapter 6, which is the whole... You know, for those who have tasted the heavenly gift, many of you know the passage we're talking about. The question that we're going to, I hope, solidly answer next week is can a genuine believer, I mean, and when we say genuine, we mean the Holy Spirit has woken this person up from the death of sin, raised them to new life in Christ. The blood of Christ has cleansed them from every unrighteousness. Can that person fall away never to return that's the question we're going to finally answer next week now you know my answer to the question because my answer is no i don't think that's possible based on the argument of hebrews so hopefully tonight we solidly set up why that's how we have to read chapter six so jesus is giving us this moment today while you have this day let's not be like those israelites who perished Instead, let's press forward in our walk. All right, so with all that said, verse 14. So Hebrews 4, picking up in verse 14. Lots of introduction. All right, since then, or, or, yeah, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now when it says passed through the the heavens. What do you think the expression is about, right? He's okay. Not in this case it's not where he came from. He went to. But rather where he, he went, went to. back to. Amen. So he's gone to the heavens. He is and there's gonna be a strong distinction. And it, okay, if y'all remember two weeks ago on Sunday morning, so I don't know everyone's here on Sunday morning. We're in Second Corinthians on Sundays. And we emphasize the distinction biblically between heaven and earth is not primarily a distinction between up and down. It does have that connotation to it. It has the connotation of God's realm versus our realm. But more importantly, it has the connotation of the future reality versus the current reality. So eternal life is heavenly life. It's resurrection life. So Jesus, there is a sense in which He's gone forward into the heavens, and he's brought something back. That's what we're getting at. Now, that'll get more clear. That's just putting all the different pieces of theology together. So this great high priest, he's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, since he's done that, we're going to have two things we need to do. Number one, 
Let us hold fast our confession. Why would we hold fast our confession? So you don't fall away. That would be a benefit, but what's the main objective in holding fast? Think about his context. Who is he talking to? Jews. What are they being tempted to do? Go back. Go back to something else. But what's his argument? Since we've got this great high priest, what should you do? Stick with it. And hold on to that with everything you have. This is, how could you possibly want to go back to Moses if you have Jesus? We have that kind of high priest. So the difference then, what is it that Jesus provides that Moses couldn't? A spiritual reality of heaven. Actual change, right? A literal remaking of the heart. The, Amen. The, the, the writing of the covenant inside of me, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's something that Jesus can provide oh, that Moses couldn't do. A genuine faith, genuine salvation. That's exactly what we're talking about. So let us hold fast to that. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, Amen. but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So there's two things that were said there. One, Jesus is completely like us in one way. Amen. And Jesus is completely not like us in the other way. What are the two things? One way he's like us is he was human. He was pure. Completely human. He was human. human. And what particular human thing happened to him? He was tempted. He was temptation. temptation. All right, well, let's talk about a temptation. What does it mean to be tempted? Well, to be tempted can't be the sin because then Jesus would have sinned. Yeah. Because yeah. he was tempted in every respect as we are. Yeah. So he had all the opportunities to Amen. sin. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I had been fasting for 40 days, <laughs> really? and someone offered me a piece of bread, <laughs> now unless it was because I had been you know, having a foodborne illness for a few days, I don't want the piece of bread. But that's not the scenario there. I can imagine I want the bread. Jesus knows what it's like to want the thing offered. Amen. Right? Do you remember, how did Jesus pray leading up to the cross in the garden? Thy will be done. Right before thy will be done. Please take this cup. Let, take this cup from me. So he didn't want to go, at least in some sense, to the cross. he didn't want to go to the cross. So much so in Luke's gospel, he's so anxious about it. What's he doing? Sweats, sweats blood. Right, that's a lot of anxiety looking forward to the cross. Now, it's not, be clear, it's not the physical pain of the cross that's got Jesus upset. What is it on the cross that's got him upset? I've always thought of when he, they laid the sins of the world on him, that was what really hurt him. I would say it's one step past the sins. Separation from We can say separation. And separation is... A lot of people use the word separation to mean what I'm about to say. I just feel like the word separation is a little loose. It was the wrath of God. And so, here's the cross. Okay. Um, did you forget something? Okay. It's God's wrath being poured out on sin. So sin goes on Christ. The fury of God's wrath pours out on him. This intimidates Jesus. Yeah. Right? I mean... If you think about it, 
Who in the world understands God's fury perfectly? Ooh. Jesus. Only Jesus. Jesus, yeah. He's the only one in the world who knew what was happening the next day. He could have told everybody exactly what was happening the next day. No one would have saw it the way he saw it. He knew exactly what was happening that next day. So imagine knowing that's happening. That's why you came. You came for this moment where all sin is placed on you, where the wrath of God is going to be poured out on you. And then here you are being tempted by the Satan, the adversary. Hey, let me give you an easier way to do this. Have you ever been tempted with an easy button? Oh, yeah. I mean, why don't you press the easy button? Or maybe you do. (laughs) You try to press it, it just doesn't do anything. All right, why are we tempted to press the easy button? It hurts less. Hurts less. You don't have to do yeah. the work. Why do we don't we don't press the easy button though? Why? why? Obedience. What, for one, it is an issue of obedience. Yeah. But we also know there's consequences yeah. when you cut corners, when you skip out on the hard work. All right, Jesus knew there were consequences. He wasn't going to fall. That was never going to happen. But he was legitimately tempted. The Bible says he was tempted. We have to take it at its face value. That's what it says. He was tempted because of that this is our first blank under the priesthood of christ jesus is a sympathetic priest who's been tempted in every way that we are so he gets it and this isn't a condemning sympathy this isn't well i did it and i didn't fall that's not the point of this passage the point of this passage is he knows what it feels like he relates we can connect with him in this way. Yet, the other side is the yet without sin part. So he's like us, and then he was tempted, but he's completely unlike us. How many times do you give in to temptation? Too many. <laughs> too often. Way too often. In fact, the more you give in, seemingly, the more easily you give in. Some people say the more you give in, the harder temptation becomes. That's a... A misunderstanding. The temptation didn't get harder. You got weaker. Right? And the more you give in, you know, the less temptation it takes to get you. So Jesus was actually tempted with the greater temptations because he never gave in. For you, it just takes the little ones down. Just, you know, level one is all it takes to get you, to get me. I'm not making fun of you. Yeah. What has always impressed me about Jesus is the fact that he did the equivalent of, a, of an eternity in hell for every human being that would accept him. Well, he bore satisfactorily the wrath of God. And if you tried to bear your wrath, it would literally take eternity. It, could, it couldn't be completed, and yet he did. All right, let's keep going. So now, verse 16. Let us then with confidence, we're going to come back and camp out on this verse at the end, but I want to make sure we understand it when we get back. So let let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now we're going to unpack that more at the end. So let's keep moving through the passage. Verse 1 of chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men. Sorry. At least it's quoting scriptures, you know? Well, <laughs> I go. thought that was there me. I'm sitting there. All right, I'll start over. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. For in every, sorry, for every high priest chosen from among men 
is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So we're talking about just the typical Old Testament high priest. Still talking about that typical Old Testament high priest in verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. I love that expression. You ever just want to call people that when they go, <laughs> the ignorant and wayward? You are, you are welcome. Maybe not the best outreach strategy, but it's what the Bible calls us. Since he himself is beset with weakness. So why can the Old Testament high priest put up with the ignorant and wayward? Because he's, like he he's only less ignorant and wayward by degree. He's not not ignorant and wayward. He's just not as ignorant and wayward. So it's more of a, he relates to them in the opposite way compared to what Jesus does. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, Amen. just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, we've already referenced Aaron. Who is Aaron in the Old Testament? Moses' brother. Moses' brother. He's also the first First formal, in the law, high priest. Now, there's another high priest. We'll deal with that in a minute. Okay, we'll get there. We'll end and... Technically, it's two weeks before we have the who is Melchizedek question, so I do ask you to bear with me and and not make me go there tonight because we'll run out of time, but that's coming. All right, so verse 5. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So some super complicated theology happening here. Remember Jesus became in some senses but Jesus always was in other senses, right? Do you remember that conversation? I am. Alright, so let's let's go back into Trinity for just a second. How many gods do we believe in? One. One. And so when we say try three what do we mean? God is three what? Persons. Persons. Which is actually, in English, probably the worst possible word that could be used to describe God. what that is. Because in the Latin, when they were having this conversation, it had a different idea. Um, in fact, it doesn't come over as that at all. But we're going to call them relations. Three relations. And what are those relations? Father, Son, Father, and, Holy Son Spirit. and Holy Spirit. Alright. Now let's see how well Zach has taught the youth. He's taught this a lot. I, I suspect they're actually going to get these answers right, which is why I asked this. So, does this arrangement in any sense ever change? So how often does God change? Never. Can he change? No. Do y'all know what it's called? I know Zach would have said it. Immutability. Immutability. Okay, immutability. This never changes. So how long has the sun been the sun? Forever. Forever. This is the way it's always been. It's always the sun. It's always what we would call the second person of the Trinity. Um, has he always been God? Yes. 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 So is there any sense in which he could ever become anything? No. No. In fact, can he become? No. No. 
Can he change? No. 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 Can he learn? No. No. He knows, he knows it all. Okay. All right. But there's some there's some looks over there like, well, well hold on, but something, something changed. But did anything ever change in that circle? Now, side note, the circle's heretical. No. Right? Because God's not a circle, right? He's not contained. So just forgive the illustration. Just put the stamp of grace on the, the rest of the illustration, okay? No, Brian is heretical. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> right? Nothing ever changed inside the circle. But one of those members, God, members is not really the right word, one of those relations added to himself humanity. A body. Human. Not just the body. Total humanity. Yes. So body and soul. Full human person. <coughs> is that human person created? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Is God the Son created? No. 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 Well, but is Jesus that human person? Yes. 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 Okay, so this is a complicated bit. Theology. Again, that circle's also heretical. But for the sake of thinking, all right, the God-man is how many persons? One person. One person. How many natures? Two. Two. And those natures are not the same. Amen. No. Can't confuse them. But can you take them apart? No. 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 So has Jesus always existed? Yes. 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 But technically, has this part of Jesus always existed? No. no. Is Jesus Bethlehem? Is Jesus omnipresent? Yes. Th- that yes. was the word I was thinking. But is the human part of Jesus omnipresent? No. no. It was born in Bethlehem. All right, so this is where things get complicated, right? So that quotation, we've already dealt with this in chapter 1. He said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Amen. Well, that's a reference to this part. Yes. All right. Also, has Jesus always been able to say he's sympathetic with us because he was tempted in every way we were? Amen. Yes. No. That happened to this part. No, that happened to that part. That happened to the incarnated part. Yeah. Now, anything that happens to either part is technically true of the whole. Right. All right? But it's complicated. So I can say Jesus is omnipresent. I can say Jesus is eternal. But I can also say Jesus became. Yes. But I have to be clear, I mean this part. Right. Not, not the whole thing. So not only did God... Make this human person special. Is there anything special about this human person? Absolutely. Yes. yes. He was a human being. He's a human being. He rose from the dead. But where's he at right now? In heaven. In heaven. At the right hand of the Father, doing what? what, what what's there? What's what's the piece of furniture? He's sitting on a throne. He's sitting on a throne. He's sitting on a throne. Has a human being ever sat on that throne? No. no. But he does now. This is the glory. This is the becoming portions of the book of Hebrews. So this human person, and this is that today I've begotten you. This was a, a Davidic covenant, um, king, of the, king of David lingo from the Psalms. Today I've begotten you that one of the kings of David would ascend and sit on a greater, higher throne. This is Jesus Christ himself, the incarnate Jesus Christ. So does he have a human body right now? Yes. 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 It is literally sitting on a throne. 
That's the point. That's what we mean. That's all, all the creeds say, that he's at the right hand of the Father. What are we answering when we say he's at the right hand of the Father? The question was, where's the body of Jesus? The it's right at the right hand, hand of the Father. Father. It's sitting. It's ruling. But not only is it ruling, it also observes what Old Testament position? Not only king, but high priest. High priest. So not only did he say, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Verse 6, he says, and he also says in another place, you are a priest after the forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Okay, so there's disagreement here. I'll just go ahead and tell you what I think, and then I'll hopefully prove it to you in two weeks when we get there. Okay, so if you disagree with me, you got to wait two weeks to have the argument. Okay? I'm going to firmly say that Melchizedek in the Old Testament is not the incarnate Christ. No. no Cannot no. be. He was no. a man. He was... Because did this exist when Melchizedek was alive? No. No. Definitely no. not. This didn't happen until the New Testament. It didn't happen twice. It didn't happen twice. Jesus didn't reincarnate. He incarnated. So you're saying some argue that it was Jesus. Yes, some say that's Jesus. All right, I'm going to very passionately say it's not. Okay. All right, so, but Jesus now has become a high priest according to a different order than the Levitical order. So what was the priesthood in the Old Testament? Because it's not Melchizedek. What's the, what's the other priesthood? Sometimes Aaron, sometimes it's called Levitical priesthood. Levitical. But uh, the idea is a descendant of Aaron. So who's greater, Aaron or one of his descendants? Aaron. Aaron would be, right? Yeah. Right, but the idea is going to be here that Jesus is part of a priesthood where the entire priesthood is greater than Aaron. Well, that makes sense because Jesus is going to officiate a ministry that produces a different result than what Levi and his priesthood could produce. See, see what I'm getting at? All right, so that'll, that's going to matter everything for the next four, five chapters as we walk through Hebrews. All right, now, let's see. I'll fill in some blanks. I know we've skipped some. Right, so Jesus, sorry, we're missing a verb. Jesus was divinely appointed to be our high priest by the Father. So the other high priests were appointed Jesus is the same. He was also appointed by the Father. We missed one. Yeah, you missed well, that. The second, second one. Pure. Pure. Jesus is a pure high priest that has never given in to sin. Sorry. We talked about the idea. I just didn't give you the You're point. forgiven. Okay, great. <laughs> I, I thought after the, Mal, after the order of Melchizedek meant that he was a king and a priest. Yeah, we'll cover that. So oh, I'm sorry. he goes into that deeply in chapter 7. Okay, and we will, that, that comes up, the king of righteousness <laughs> versus the... Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to jump in. Oh, no, you're good, you're good. So. You're we, we, we like to study it all, so so that's great. Okay, so we are moving on to Jesus' ministry. Was Okay, so we're ready to keep reading. Now verse... Seven. 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 In the days of his flesh, now in Hebrews, that's a reference to a specific time period. What period of life, of Jesus' life is this a reference to? When he's human. in human form. His, well, he's, he's still in human form. Yeah. But, but specifically his pre-resurrection Resurrection ministry. On earth. So while he was just of the flesh, and that's as opposed to 
glorified body, right. which would be spiritual and physical, mm -hmm. but just the flesh, this is pre-resurrection. So in those days, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Well, what's that a reference to? What particular prayer are we talking about now? In the garden. In the garden. We're, we're back to the garden. In the exactly garden. Prayer in the garden. He wants to be saved from death. Now, God's going to answer that prayer, but not in the way that we see. We'll let this cup pass. Not in letting the cup pass, but rather through what? God's going to salvation. Resurrection. 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 That's exactly what the answer is. So because he was able to do that, and he was heard because of his reverence. So Jesus got his, his request answered. Now think about that. Jesus makes prayer to the Father. The Father answers. What does that tell us about his ability to be our high priest? Direct connection to the Father. Direct connection to the Father. He's online with God. Boom. So and so that's part of it. Let's go another level. Not only is he online. He is. He is God. He, he he's is the Son. So like, he uh, he gets what kind of answers when he makes preferential treatment. Preferential, preferential treatment. I'll go with that. Yeah. Absolutely. He he gets. This is the you know you can. You can call and ask your parents for a favor that you couldn't ask a stranger for, assuming you have a good relationship. You know, um, he can make requests that get answered, right? But furthermore, verse eight, and although he was a son, he learned obedience. Which part? By going to the cross. This part doesn't learn. No. Right, it knows. This part learned obedience. All right, through what he suffered. Amen. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. Amen. All right, so think about this. Why could the humanly high priest relate to us? Because he's like us. Because he he's like us in weakness. weakness Let's like just call us. it sin. So the, the high priest of the Old Testament could relate to you because he was a sinner. Amen. But the high priest of the new covenant can save you because of suffering. Amen. That's the comparison here. Sin versus suffering. So Jesus' ministry was perfected by suffering rather than by sin and led to life rather than death. <clears throat> Moses led his people. But what happened to them in the wilderness? They all died. Died. Every one of them died but they all died. The idea then is Jesus, because his ministry is perfected, he can take people, lead them into suffering. But what comes after crucifixion? Resurrection. Resurrection. What comes after pain? Promised Promise land. land. This is what Jesus does. He leads us through the wilderness to the promised land. This is the theology going on here. So, and what kind of salvation specifically does the text say he provides? Eternal. 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 Let's talk about that word eternal for just a moment. It means forever. Forever. Do I? Never ending. So technically, and this is what's interesting about their worldview, 
is the word eternal doesn't actually mean forever. It implies for it has to be forever because of what it means. But it means specifically something a little different. So let me just illustrate that for you. We've, we've talked about this a lot with the Apostle Paul. Paul loves this word, eternal. Um, and consequently, I love this word. So here's how chronology in the Bible works. So we call it the age we are currently in in the Bible is called the what age? We could call it the church age. That's not the usual lingo. Last. There you go. I knew somebody would get it. We are in the last age, which is really funny because is it literally the last age? No. No, there's one more. But it's the last age where we do what? This one. Well, that's true. <laughs> Not what I was going for. Okay. So in our world, how do we mark time? Click. Clock. All right. So what's a clock do? Counts down. Okay. All right, let's, let's go beyond time, though. Um, how do you know what year it is? Calendar. Calendar. And if you look at a calendar, what are you looking for? Date. Date. Well, where do, what year? Okay, what year is it? 2019. Well, what does that even mean? Is that 2019 years since something happened? Since, yes, since the birth of Jesus. We're close. I mean, most scholars these days would say about 4 BC, really. You know, so we we didn't quite get it right, right? Why doesn't the Bible use those dates? Because if you, if you read the Bible, does it ever use the dates that we use? No. So I could say that David built the temple in the year, or sorry, Solomon built the temple in the year like 966 B.C. Right? The Bible doesn't say that, though. Amen. Well, what's the, how would the Bible date something? Like when or really, when someone rained. So you change time, so it's year one through year, let's just say 30, of someone's reign. So you update the calendar every time what happens? A new, 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 new king. king. Got to have somebody die, and now we got year one again through year, well, two, because there was an insurrection, and now we're going to go year one through, you know, a Queen Victoria kind of thing going on. Now we got like year one through 80. I don't know. How long did she reign? What now? Pretty close. You know, but it's, you know, but you update the calendar every time you get a new ruler. How often does that happen on this side? So this is, this is the last day. And that is eternity. How often do you change rulers on that side? You can't. No. You don't. So when we say there's no time, People have a tendency to think that there's no longer progression of time, but the Bible doesn't say that. There's no more of this. There no more go. death. No more changing. No more timekeeping. There's no new kings. There's no new leaders. Because how long will Jesus sit on that throne? Forever. 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 No death Every over there. single day, no death. So there's no time coming in that time. But you know what we call this period? Eternity. Eternal. And so to say something is eternal, eternal is to say it belongs to that age. But that age lasts for how long? 
forever. It has no end. It has no end. So when Jesus provides eternal salvation, we're not chiefly saying that it lasts forever. It does last forever. We're chiefly saying when. You see the difference? Not how long, but when. When is eternity? Last day. It's at the resurrection. And that lasts forever. And so Jesus provides an eternal salvation. Means if you're standing here and he promises eternal salvation, what's he promising? No end. He's saying you make it. That's the point. The whole point of Jesus promising eternal salvation is that you show up here. Now, that doesn't mean you can't die between now and then, right? Because you die, let's say you die right here, then your line just does this fancy thing, we call it resurrection, it jumps down into the grave, then it pops back up. Yeah. <laughs> All right? You still get there. Yeah. Yeah. This is the promise of eternal salvation. So what's the author of Hebrews trying to prove to us right now? That if Jesus is your high priest, there ain't no such thing as death. There's no way you don't end up here. Amen. That's why he's different than Moses. Moses got him out of Egypt, but he, did he get him to the promised land? No. 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 Jesus gets us out of Egypt, but he's taken us home. Yes. So the whole point of this book is there's no reason to go back to Moses because this is what Jesus provides. Get all the way there. So with that being the case, we'll see, and he can do all this being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So therefore, Jesus can minister to those who are suffering. That was part of the last point. Suffering and lead them into life. So our response, how do we respond to Jesus being the great high priest? There were two um, commandments back at the end of chapter 4 where we started. Let's look at what those two are. Verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 14 said, Let us hold fast our confession. And then 4.16 said, Let us draw near in confidence. Let us draw near in confidence. So, here's what we're getting at. So the next point is explaining verse 4.14. So we have the greatest high priest there could possibly be. So what's he good at? Saving people. He's good at fixing you. He's good at redeeming you. This is what he does. This is the specific thing he's good at. So what should you trust him to do with you in your life? Save you. That's the point. So we have the greatest high priest there could possibly be. We need to trust him to do his work. Let him do it. Quit trying to do it. Let him do the work. Now that's going to produce in us a confidence. And here's what we're saying. So we have a loving high priest who covers our sin. Amen. So we need to come to him with assurance. So when my children ask me for stuff, my younger ones especially, let's say they know there is ice cream in the freezer. Is there? There's not, so otherwise it's totally go home and have to give it to him. <laughs> How do you think Blaze asked for it? I want ice cream. 
he's gonna grin and smile and get whatever he wants. Where's the word assurance come in? Oh, that sweet little boy. How do you, how do you think they ask when they're of assurance? Let me tell you something about Blaze. This this is the kind of kid Blaze is. So yesterday, I was in my bedroom. I was about to change, but I heard Blaze coming down the hall, and so I was like, well, I'm, I'm scared. So I, I kind of hid behind the door. He came around the corner, and I jumped out real good at him, and, and he looked up at me. I was like, did I scare you? And he looked back at me and said, Dad, I don't even know what it feels like to be scared. Uh, <laughs> yay. <laughs> But I mean, I don't know. If I was a kid yeah, and I had run into my dad's room like that and that had happened, I would have had the same level of assurance. <laughs> but uh, Blaze has a good biblical idea of the confidence of salvation before the Father um, in this scenario. The point is, what did Adam and Eve do when they sinned in the garden? God comes to the garden. They, they brought they death hid. to the human race. And they hide. They're scared of God's presence. What's fascinating to me about the Bible, and I love this, it's in 1 John chapter 2. When we sin, so John tells us. They brought death to the human race. He said, uh, I'm writing these things to you, little children, in order that you might not sin. But when you do sin, it's always fascinated me what the very first thing he tells us is there. Like, you're caught in sin, you realize you're sinning, now, most of us, I think, would say, well, repent and confess. I have a lot of things we list first. That's not what John says first. The very first thought that should enter your mind when you sin is what John said next. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means, means what? what? What is he? The wrath of God. Yeah. We talked about on the cross. He's paid the price. It's paid for. It's absorbed. It's removed. That's step one. When you find yourself in your sin, step one, Jesus is your advocate. Step one, let us have confidence. Let us draw near. That's the gospel that we have. That's the Savior that we have. That is the kind of high priest that we have. Are there any questions? We'll hit Melchizedek real hard in two weeks. We'll hit apostasy 100% next week. So. You, you, you've applied this a couple of times. So I've never really thought in terms of Jesus on the throne and us later being our resurrection bodies and our human bodies being like same. It, it almost sounds like you say that sometimes. I always thought the resurrection body was different somehow. It's different, but it's the same body. It's just a heal. It's bottom. upgraded. It's glorified. So think about Jesus. I just don't want to shake. 2.0. I don't want to shave his head. <laughs> but what? Well, maybe a good big facial hair beard. That's heavenly. You know? <laughs> or maybe you can grow and retract. Oh, please. So, so Jesus is our model. So Jesus used the same body. That's why the tomb was empty. But it's upgraded. It's a better body. It's, it's passed through death. It's come out on the other side. It's... Mortality has been put away. Immortality has been gained. Yeah, I, I don't view that as his completed resurrection body. He says, like, you feel the holes in my flesh. Yeah, so, so Jesus still had scars, but I think he's unique in that regard because he's the Savior. So if you think about the imagery of Jesus in the, new, in the book of Revelation, we, it's the lamb who was slain. So if you just visualize, what's a slain lamb look like? 
bloody. Blood. Kind so of the like the image chicken. of Christ is you see him as the sacrifice. So I think there's a reason in, in theology that's called the stigmata, if you've ever heard that mm-hmm. term. So it's the it, it's the markings of the crucifixion on Christ's body. Yeah. So that, I, I thought we were dichotomous beings, and the, the part of me that makes me alive is what's going to be there. I'm not this. Okay. All right. We are dichotomy, which means we're body and soul. But the Christian doctrine of resurrection is that temporarily, when I die, my soul goes to be with the Lord. Amen. And then at the end of time, when he comes back, my body, the dead in Christ rise, will literally raise from the dead in a glorified state and come back together. And so for all of eternity, I'll be flesh and blood. But glorified. But glorified. glorified. I can't die. Maybe be perfect. Sinless. No sorrow, no suffering, sinless. no sickness. Sinless. All of that. Sinless. Yes. I've always thought that I am going to solve some real problems when I know as I know. When I think like God, I'm going to have some kind of answer. Well, we'll that's certainly that's see it from talking. a better perspective. That's for sure. All right, I'm going to go ahead and close this in prayer, and I'm, I'm happy to entertain any other conversations after that. But uh, let's go ahead and close out, and uh, we will... Um, Clean up the room. So, Father, thank you for tonight. Pray that you bless our time that we've spent in the Word. I pray that it would prove fruitful as we think about and meditate on the greatness of our Savior. God, we know that He is a faithful high priest over your house, over the church of God. We pray that because of His work as high priest, that we would draw near with confident assurance, knowing that our sin is covered, that your grace and mercy abound. And that you will provide us with what we need to do the work you've called us to do. So God, we pray that you would bless us as we obey, as we repent, and as we walk faithful. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.